Their Air Force careers are being threatened because they asked to live according to their faith. I'm Stuart Shepard, and this is First Liberty Live. I want you to make sure that you've downloaded the First Liberty Live app to your phone. You can watch these episodes as a video, or if you prefer in your car, you can listen to them as a podcast. Just search for First Liberty Live. It's a quick download. It's free, and uh, it's a great way to keep track of all that we talk about here. Mike Berry is our Director of Military Affairs and also Senior Counsel here at First Liberty Institute. And I always mention he serves as a Lieutenant Colonel in the Marine Corps Reserve, because I want you to know that he knows this from the inside when we talk about military stuff. And at the moment, he is on the road in Nashville. Hi, Mike. Stuart. Good to see your face. Hey, we just filed suit against the U.S. Air Force. What's the suit all about? Well, this lawsuit, uh, for those who have been following First Liberty Live, and and thank you for those who have been, and and if you haven't been, as Stuart's going to tell you, please uh, sign up to, to uh, get our updates on First Liberty Live. But if you have been, you're probably familiar with our U.S. Navy SEALs lawsuit that we filed uh, last year in, in the fall and the great success we had there. And this lawsuit is pretty similar uh, in many respects with one big difference. We don't represent Navy SEALs. We actually represent nine U.S. Air Force members. And this lawsuit, just like the Navy lawsuit, is over the Department of Defense's vaccine mandate. But instead of suing the Secretary of the Navy, we're suing the Secretary of the Air Force. Uh, But in many other respects, the lawsuits are very similar. The Air Force, just like the other branches of the military, has been uh, very hostile to people of faith, uh, especially when it comes to the issue of, of those with religious objections to the vaccine mandate. And they have denied Religious accommodations, almost uh, 100% of them have been denied. There's only a handful that have been approved, and even the ones that have been approved, it's really kind of a sham. We can talk about that more. Um, so at First Liberty, we really felt that, you know, although uh, we're, we're stretched pretty thin on resources because of the, the Navy SEALs lawsuit, and of course, the Coach Kennedy case and, and, and many others that, that we're working on, uh, we just couldn't sit idly by and, and allow the Department of Defense to continue to do this to our brave men and women. And we found good clients uh, in, good, in a good jurisdiction and with a good judge, because the, this lawsuit happens to be in front of the same judge that has been uh, ruling favorably in the Navy SEALs lawsuit. And so the circumstances were really such that we, we felt like this was an opportunity that we could not and should not pass up. And it is a big deal to sue the top brass at a branch of the military. One of the common questions we get on social media is, hey, why don't you sue on behalf of all the branches of the military? And the answer you just gave is, I think, all what, what it's all about. It is, it is a huge thing to file one of these lawsuits, and filing against every single branch is more than our nonprofit can do right now. Yeah, it's not easy. I mean, it's it's a big deal. It's 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 difficult. It is expensive. It's exhausting. It is resource intensive. Uh, but I will say it's worth it. Uh, it's worth it not just for for us at First Liberty. I think it's worth it for our country. It's worth it for our future. It's worth it for the Constitution. And if we think that the Constitution actually should mean anything in this country, and so, uh, but the short answer as to why we can't just sue the entire DoD is that each branch of the military has their own way of doing things. 
Uh, anybody who's ever served or has a family member or a loved one who served, you'll know that immediately, right? That, that each branch kind of does things their own way. And uh, although they generally follow the same rules and regulations, the way that they implement those rules, the procedures that they have, uh, et cetera, there's some nuances and differences. And that's re the reason why you have to, if you're gonna do something like this, you have to take it on individually. And it also goes back to the old, you know, what's the old adage is how do you eat an elephant? Well, one bite at a time. And that's uh, that's also part of the what factors into this. And I also think it's important to make clear, our, our beef is not with the members of the Air Force. Our beef is with this policy that's being pushed down from the highest levels. Well, we're talking elephants here, not cows, Stuart, but I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that one and say, <laughs> I, I, yes, uh, our beef is really with the way that the Air Force and the Navy and the Navy case, and really the way that the military is handling these religious accommodation requests. As I've often and, and, and long said, yes, the military has the authority to issue orders. That's what the military does. That's what commanders do, right? They issue orders, directives, go charge that machine gun nest, go, you know, uh, whatever the order happens to be, that's what we do in the military. We execute those orders. But it's always with the understanding that the order can't violate the law. The order can't violate the Constitution. You cannot order somebody in the military, go and violate the Constitution. Go violate the law. Uh, and, and that's exactly what's happening here, is the military is violating the Constitution and violating the law and the way that it is carrying out this so-called order to be vaccinated. And what you just said runs right into something that I'm seeing a lot in our social media channels and elsewhere. And that is this idea that uh, it's people who are complaining about us filing these suits, uh, asking for religious accommodation for service members. Uh, they say that, well, you signed up for the military. That's part of the job. You have to do what they say. And if you don't like it, you should just get out. And we've been hearing that over and over again. But as you're explaining, that's just not how it works in every situation. That's not the way it is. It never has been. It's never been that way in this country, at least. Uh, perhaps in other countries. Uh, if you're in China, if you're in North Korea, if you're in Russia, yeah, when you, you know, when, when you live under that regime, you give up all of your rights. In this country, serving in our military, you don't give up your rights. You're defending those rights. Why on earth would anybody ever join an organization that says its mission is to uphold and defend the constitutional rights and, and, and the freedoms of everybody else, but then says that the very people who are asking to do that, uh, they lose those freedoms. That doesn't make any sense at all. And in order to have a military that functions properly, in order to have, I would say, a society that functions properly, we have to have a proper understanding of which rights and laws, et cetera, sort of trump others, right? And so. As I just said a few moments ago, no military directive, and I don't care if that's coming from a sergeant or that's coming from the Secretary of Defense himself, no, no military order or directive can ever contradict the Constitution. It just can't. And so that's when, for yes, I mean, I know we've received it at First Liberty. I've heard it personally that, oh, well, uh, you guys don't know what you're doing because when you join the military, you know, when I joined the military, uh, you know, they told me that I, you know, say goodbye to all of your your, your rights and your freedoms because you belong to Uncle Sam now. Okay, that's stuff that we see in the movies and in Hollywood. That's not real life. That's not how it actually works in the military. 
When you join the military, you do not give up your freedoms. Some of your freedoms may be temporarily you know, curtailed a little bit, right? I mean, you can't walk around and, and criticize the president of the United States openly and publicly, um, but you can, you can certainly, there are certainly methods and, and means for you to voice your opinion if you're in the military. And the same thing goes with, with your, your First Amendment right to free exercise of religion, right? In fact, there have been court cases that, and, and this is where it really becomes important on the issue of religious liberty. There are actual federal court cases that say that the, that the United States government has an obligation under the Constitution, not because there's any congressional law or regulation or policy that says this, but because the Constitution itself says that our government has the obligation to ensure that everybody in the military has the right of free exercise of religion. We have that obligation as a nation. We have that obligation as a government, and we are not we're not upholding that obligation right now as as a government or as a country. And so, when our government fails to do it, guess who has to step up? First Liberty. That's why we're here. We are standing in the gap for people of faith serving in our military when everybody else has failed them. And that's why this mission and this case is so important for us. I want to talk for a moment about what we're not doing, and that is we're not giving advice on whether any individual should or should not get the vaccine. That's an individual choice, and it's also a medical decision, and we're not medical experts. But what we do have on our staff are legal experts. So what we're offering is advice, general advice. It's not specific to every situation concerning your rights as an individual under the Constitution and the law when it comes to religious accommodation for something such as a COVID-19 vaccine. Mike, part of the suit is a request for a preliminary injunction. Explain what that is and why it's important. So a preliminary injunction, right? The first part is preliminary, right? That means it happens really early in the case. It's preliminary in nature. It's not permanent. It doesn't end the case. uh, But it is very early on in a lawsuit. You go to the court and you ask the judge to do something. And in this case, the, what are you asking the judge to do? Enter an injunction. And an injunction is an order from the court that tells one of the parties to do something or to stop doing something. And in this case, we're asking the court to enter a preliminary order telling the Air Force, stop punishing, stop separating people in the Air Force because they have a religious objection to the vaccine mandate. So again, just to be clear, this is not challenging the actual authority of the Air Force or of the government to issue the vaccine mandate. This is saying, look, when somebody has a religious objection to the vaccine, there there are constitutional rights that are triggered. There are First Amendment religious liberty rights that are triggered by that, and you have to follow those. You have to honor and respect those, and it doesn't look like you're doing that right now, United States Air Force. So unless you can provide some compelling evidence that you actually are following the Constitution, which, and of course, it's the the, the burden is on us to provide the evidence that they're not doing that, right? And that's exactly what we've done. And, and I encourage people to go to firstliberty.org or firstlibertylive.com, get copy, get download a copy of the complaint because we made it available to everybody. And you can see the arguments and the evidence that we're presenting to the court to say, you know, Your Honor, you need to enter this preliminary injunction in favor of our clients because they the Air Force is denying like 99% or more of these religious accommodation requests. They're not evaluating them on an individualized basis, which is what the law requires. 
They're not considering all the factors that the law requires you to consider if you're going to deny somebody's religious accommodation. They're just rubber stamping them. And it's just like we argued in the Navy SEALs case, when the judge issued the injunction in favor of our Navy SEAL clients, he said, in that case, the Navy is rubber stamping every single one of these denials. And our argument is, guess what, Your Honor? The Air Force is doing the exact same thing with its people. It's rubber stamping every single denial. I want to explain the, the, have you explain the breadth of this case as well. We are representing nine individuals, but we're also asking the court to consider this a suit on behalf of everyone who's, as the legal term goes, similarly situated. Explain what that means and how that would apply. So we have nine named plaintiffs in the lawsuit, right? We've got nine people who are our actual clients right now. And then when you ask the court to grant what's called a, a motion for class certification, that's the fancy legal term that most people refer to as just, it's a class action. Right. right. So we're asking the court to grant class action status to this lawsuit. And if the court does that, then what that would mean is that in addition to the nine plaintiffs that we currently represent, we would actually be providing protection for, I mean, conceivably thousands of people in the Air Force who have requested these religious accommodations and have been denied. And the judge did that in our Navy case. So we currently represent, or not, re, I mean, not represent in the in the same sense as our 35 named plaintiffs, but yeah. we have a class, uh, you a mean class nine, action. Nine plaintiffs in this right. one, 35 so is the Navy. On the Navy side, right. So there, yeah. were, there were 35 named plaintiffs, and then when the court granted the class certification, right. turning it into a class action, it expanded that into over 4,000. So on the Air Force side, it would do the same thing. You start with the nine named plaintiffs, and if the court approves the class action status, then it would expand into, and I actually don't know the number off the top of my head for how many people in the Air Force, but if there were roughly 4,000 or 4,000 plus in the Navy, you, would, you, you, you could very easily see there would be as many or possibly more in the Air Force. So we're talking you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of, of six, seven, eight, maybe even 10,000 people in the military that First Liberty Institute is on the front lines trying to protect, trying to ensure that they don't lose their constitutionally protected religious freedom. So to be clear, for someone who's in the Air Force currently serving, who has filed for a religious accommodation to the military vaccine mandate and been denied, if class action status is, is granted, then they are considered to be someone protected by this lawsuit as it moves forward. So for example, if the preliminary injunction is granted, that means they can't be, each of those individuals can't be punished in the meantime, right? Right. And, th and, th and this is where, again, the details are important because people are going to ask, what does this actually mean in real world, you know, practical military terms? Right. Exactly. Yeah. So what it actually means is uh, let, let's start with what it doesn't mean. Right. So somebody's going to ask, does this mean that the Air Force has to approve my religious accommodation? No. no. OK, there's no guarantee. The court is not going to say, Air Force, you must approve all of these now. What they will say most likely. All right. Is. Based, this is based on my, you know, my own expertise and my, my experience doing this. The court is most likely going to say, you can, you must stop punishing them, right? You can't, you can't take any what we call adverse action against them. So you right. can't discipline them. You can't issue them a reprimand or reduce, you know, reduce them in rank or fine them or anything like that. And you also cannot separate them involuntarily. So in other words, you can't kick somebody out. Uh, if they don't want to leave the military, uh, and specifically the Air Force, 
if the court grants this preliminary injunction. Now, the other question that I predict and anticipate that people are going to ask is, uh, does this apply to me because I am, and then, you know, fill in the blank as to whatever their status is. Here's who, if, again, if the court grants the class action status, it will cover active duty Air Force, Air Force act, uh, active reserve, so what we call the ready reserve, right? And uh, I think, all right, I'm gonna, I, I, basically my educated guess on this is that it should also include Air National Guard. And the reason that's important is because hmm. uh, the Army and the Air Force both have National Guard, have what we call Guard components, right? There's, right. The, yeah. there's the Army National Guard and then there's the Air National Guard. And uh, for, for Air National Guard, the Department of Defense is the one that's made the argument that they have the authority to require everybody in the Air National Guard to get the vaccine. And this is, again, where if you're watching me or listening to me and, 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 and you are in the National Guard or you're in the military, especially in the Air Force, this terminology will be familiar to you. For everybody else, I apologize that it may may sound like I'm speaking Klingon. or Okay, we got it. But if you are on active duty, okay, you are in a Title 10 status. If you are in the Air National Guard and you are not called up to federal duty, right, you are still functioning under the authority of your state governor, you're in a Title 32 status. So under Title 32 of the U.S. Code, the, the National Guard and the Air National Guard fall under the authority and jurisdiction of the state governor, right? right? Only when there's a declared state of emergency and the president says, I am mobilizing the National Guard, which we've done historically in this country on a number of occasions, right? Then, then those National Guard and Air National Guardsmen who are under Title 32 become what we call federalized. So they begin operating under Title 10, just like our regular military, and they're that makes subject sense. Yeah. to federal authority. Here's where things get interesting. The, Depart- the, the Department of Defense, both the, the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of the Air Force, have made the argument publicly that even if a National Guardsman and an Air National Guardsman are not federalized, so they're still under Title 32 operating under their state governor, they said we still have the authority to order them to get the vaccine mandate. I mean, get, I mean sorry, to get the vaccine. Right. And there are some governors, some state governors, who disagree with that, and they filed their own lawsuit. All right. Texas and Oklahoma in particular said, oh, no, you don't. You don't have that authority. But the secretary of defense said, yes, I do. And so they're fighting that fight. But for our purposes and for this lawsuit, we're, we're saying, well, OK, if you want to if you want to claim that you have authority over them, then for purposes of our class action, it should cover them. Right. It, the class action should also cover Air National Guard. So that's what's important for our, our audiences here, Stuart, is active duty Air Force, Air Force Reserve, Air National Guard, ROTC cadets, U.S. Air Force Academy cadets, right? They should all be covered if the court grants the class action status. But we'll know for sure when the court issues the order. And we will keep everyone updated on firstliberty.org, firstliberty.org. Keep an eye on our website. And we'll likely talk about it here as this goes along as well. Mike, I know you've been putting in a lot of hours on the Navy case, the SEALs case, and, and you're starting on this one now. There are a lot of hours ahead. Thank you for what you do. I appreciate your dedication to this. It's not easy. Well, I, as I said, Stuart, at the beginning, it's not easy. Uh, and it's not just me, you know. 
Um, we say in the military, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants. And I recognize all the hard work that the legal team that, that's on these cases, but also everybody at First Liberty, everybody at First Liberty, and I, and I hope that everybody watching really understands and appreciates this. Every single person at First Liberty has grabbed an oar and is rowing. And we're rowing as hard as we can. And sometimes we feel like we're rowing upstream, all right? But, uh, and it's hard work. But as I said at the beginning, it is worth it. It is worth it to me personally, because, I mean, here we are on the heels of, of, of Memorial Day weekend. And I think about the sacrifices that so many have made for our freedoms in this country. And that's what makes it worth it, is knowing that, that we are doing something worthy of their sacrifice. We're trying to ensure that the freedoms for which they gave their lives are not, is, are, are not meaningless or, or lost or eroded. That we are trying to carry on the legacy that, that, that thousands of people who have given their lives, who've given the last full measure of devotion in defense of our country, in defense of our freedoms. And so at First Liberty Institute, it is, I mean, this is a, a labor of love for us, you know, in, in many ways, is that it's hard, but boy, it is so worth it. All right. Mike Berry, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. I know this is a, a special edition. We weren't planning on doing this interview, but we wanted to get this word out right away. Thank you for that. Well, thanks for having me. All right. And we invite you to show your support for the members of the Air Force that we're representing. We've got a special page set up on firstliberty.org. When you go to the homepage right now, there's a pop-up that you'll see first. And when you click on that, uh, it'll take you to a page with information for you. And then at the bottom of that page, there's this space that you see on the right side of your screen where you can sign a letter of support to them and also send a personal note of encouragement. And we'll be passing those along to the people that we're representing so that they can get that encouragement directly from you. It is a big deal to see your employer, especially when your employer happens to be the United States Air Force. So our clients profoundly appreciate hearing from you. We will see you next time right here on First Liberty Live.